Welcome to the Sendcast. My name is Dale Pickles, Managing Director of B Squared and the host of the Sendcast, the special needs podcast. Each week we'll be talking about a different topic within the world of special educational needs to improve our knowledge, to provide support to professionals working in schools and to empower parents. In this episode, our guest is Fintan O'Regan. Fintan has been a head teacher, lecturer for Leicester University and now works as a trainer and consultant for schools and school support systems. In this episode, we're talking about going back to school in the new normal. Before we get started on that, have you heard of the Virtual Send Conference? This is a conference we started running in 2019 that makes CPD around SEND more affordable and easier to access. It runs twice a year over the internet, but you can watch the videos whenever you need to as they are always available. For more information, visit www.virtualsendconference.com. At the end of the episode, I'll be giving you a discount code so you can save some money when you purchase access. Now on with the podcast. In this week's show, we're discussing going back to school in the new normal. Our guest is Fintan O'Regan. Fintan is a trainer and consultant for schools and school support systems including social services, health, the police, and foster carers. He supports them by providing behaviour management strategies for children and families struggling with SEND and behaviour issues. Before this, he worked with a number of organisations, including NASEN, Institute of Education, Leicester University, the UK ADHD Network, and the European ADHD Alliance. And before all of this, he was a head teacher of a specialist school for students with ADHD, ASD, and ODD. Welcome to the show, Finton. Thank you, Dale. Thank you for inviting me. So everyone's heading back to school for the new year. Some students have only had six weeks off. Others haven't been in school for over 20 weeks. Going back in September will be different for all students. How different it will be will depend on the school and how long it will be different, we do not know. There's a lot of uncertainty. Yes, I think there is both for uh, children and for, the, and for families. And, and it's, it's interesting how you know, people have adapted to a certain extent to learning from home. But also, you know, there's nothing like being in a school community, but the school community itself will be very different in September onwards due to some of the new guidelines and to some new restrictions on movement and to a certain extent uh, how lessons are, will be taught and, and the groupings we have. So there's a lot of, lot of uncertainty out there, but obviously I think it's going to be a good opportunity to go back into the school system. I think in a lot of ways, my daughter went back, she was year six, and she went back at the end of the term, so she was back in June, July, and she was just really happy to be back. It was different, but she was really happy, and, and that difference started with your, a lot of schools have the, will have staggered start times, so literally from arriving at the school, there'll be lots of slightly different things. Yeah, there's going to be, as I said, I think we'll have to feel our way through the whole thing. I mean, it's interesting... The main reason why children go to school, parents might not realise this, is not actually for learning, it's to meet their friends. And, and you, 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 can, you can justify that for some individuals who may be excluded from school because where are they at half past three every day of the week? They'll be at the school gates waiting for their friends to, uh, to come out and, and see them. I think the, the issue is, though, that for certain children, particularly for some individuals, some of the habits and, and, and some of the sort of, you know, some of the ways in which they were learning and, and some of the, uh, the ways in which they were, you know, working in groups will need to be somewhat, you know, reaffirmed. And I think teachers themselves will also be somewhat, you know, in, in, a, in a state of uncertainty about how they can employ 
what will be some interesting interpretation of new behavior guidelines. That's the thing. It's the uh, interpretation has been an interesting word going around Twitter, seeing how different schools, different, different trusts, different authorities interpret the guidance and what it means. Yes, I, I think so. I mean, my my particular, there's, there's opportunities and challenges. As, as you know, I have a particular affinity towards the children who are non-traditional learners. I was a head teacher of a specialist school and, you know, over the years I've been um, trying to help and support children and families in the school system who have non-traditional traits uh, such as ADHD and ASD. And for these children and for their teachers, I think interpreting some of the new behaviour guidelines, particularly around social distancing, will take some time, I think, for everyone to sort of see how how we settle. What we don't want is um, overzealousness, so to speak, in terms of interpreting what will be some quite strict and, and important behaviour and guidelines in, in, in context of recent situations. I think it's also important almost for teachers, especially I think around people with ADHD and ASDs, not to assume how they'll react in the new norm. Because I know my nephew who has autism, the whole social distancing, all that is like, yeah, it didn't bother him because it, it's he, he's a bit of a germaphobe. So that was perfect for him. Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt that, Dale, for some individuals particularly, we don't want to be sort of classifying all children with autism as being happy at home, not having to sort of be involved in groups and working in front of a computer. But there's no doubt that for many children with ASD in particular, that the sort of virtual learning setup was was probably quite comfortable to a certain extent and some of them going back to school will you know they they will feel somewhat anxious and and as you know that the key thing for ASD is reducing the anxiety so I think the key the real issue is for teachers themselves we we need to make sure that teachers in schools are trained how to train the children when they return to school about understanding the new guidelines I think that's important. One thing I think about is, is as we said, that often for children with ASD is on that computer at home, it feels very safe, but it's not almost, it's not necessarily good for them. Making someone comfortable isn't always what's good for them. And they do need to sort of develop skills they may not have. Correct. I mean, we, we know that group learning is, 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 is how it's done in a school system. And, and we're not making the point either that all, all children with ASD don't, don't enjoy being in groups, but it, it, there will be some differences in how what we're trying to do is in, in interpret some of these health and safety guidelines along with the learning, the learning processes. As a, you know, in, in in terms of classroom structures, it could well be that the classroom structures themselves, with desks being placed at, at you know at distances between others, could actually really benefit the learning of children with ASD and ADHD who to a certain extent, find social distancing in classrooms difficult anyway. So I think my, my big concern, if, if you like, is not actually the learning time in the school. It's the non-structured time. It's the break times and lunch times and how that is going to be handled. And, and this is in particular context for children with ADHD who have obviously hyperactive and impulsive traits. And and for them, observing social distancing issues in a, in a non-structured time may well be difficult. And, and there is my concern about how their actions will be interpreted and, and managed in, in terms of what will be, I think, different behaviour expectations. 
Yeah, because I think in a lot of schools, you're not you're not going to be out in the playground for an hour and a bit or however long over that day having that break time with all the other children. Is it will be in your bubbles? It's going to be less time. My daughter in the in the end of the summer term, she had her lunch in her classroom. Mm, mm. So you're not given that space. You're often you might not be even able to able to get away from children. Yeah, and I think it's um, one of the things I think schools miss in terms of when they're in traditional times is that if you talk to a parent of a child with ADHD, for example. And you'll say to them, all parents obviously want their children to be happy socially with their peers. But children with ADHD, as a rule, get on better with younger and older pupils. Now, the reason for that is developmentally, a child who's nine years old is basically maybe acting in certain, you know, certain systems as a seven-year-old in terms of their observation of, of impulsivity sort of abilities to actually not react situations but also in terms of intellectually they might also be at a at a 13 year old level so the reason they stand out in a traditional setting is because developmentally they're not at the same stage as their age as their peers and i think what we tend to do is we tend to obviously group children based on the chronological age i think there's an opportunity here when we are in these non-structured times just just to think about how those groupings may work best and how not necessarily group them with peers, their peers of the same age, but across an age range. Yeah, that's, that's important. I think one of the things I think all schools will need to do over September, I think for anyone with ASD and ADHD, is have really good communication with home. Yeah, I mean, that's going to be vital. As I said, I think home parents at home will also feel anxious, um, particularly if they feel that their children may well be, to a certain extent, very much under scrutiny in terms of um, not just the learning behaviour, but very much in, in, in terms of how they do react with other children, you know, with, with their peers. And this is why I was making the point before about how there might be an opportunity to look at those groupings slightly differently than, than they have done previously. And I think although they've got these bubbles, they may, might still need to do some uh, lunchtime clubs to provide a slightly more structured time for those students as well. Yeah, I mean, we, we look, it, it's the thing I always talk about, particularly that there's a myth out there about children, particularly with ADHD. What they need to do is go out at break time and run off all their energy. What happens is you wind them up so much they can't, they can't settle down and go back into the classroom setting. Ideally, you should always be structuring the non-structured time. And this is something, a message I try to give over to, to schools all the time to do that. So this is an opportunity, as I said, to, as well as a, a challenge, if you like, to, to actually get interpret, you know, use this situation to actually get into a mindset of actually structuring those non-structured times, which actually would probably work better in all traditional school settings. Yeah, definitely. Now, one of the things I think neuro, some neurodiverse children are very good at is masking. So they might spend a whole day coping, just literally coping with what's going on on that day in school and then going home and kind of letting it all out. Now, some families have realised they probably haven't had this since March. They haven't had the meltdowns coming from home, the outbursts, the bad, the difficult times. They haven't had that. And now we're back in school. That might all start again. So it's one of those good opportunities to try and unpick and what you don't want is to go from having that difficult time at home 
because they are just at home to now having a difficult time at home dealing with what's happening at school. Yeah, I, I mean, a lot of parents will tell me this, that and I do a lot of parent training that he or she gets through the school day and then when they come home, they, they let it all go, so to speak, because as you say, they mask it and, and it, it is more difficult for them to survive a school day, so to speak, in comparison to their peers. It's a bit like, you know, someone gave me an analogy once about if you have, say you're doing, you're swimming the channel to, to when you try to get through your year 10, 11 to finish your GCSEs. Well, if you have dyslexia, it's like swimming the channel in treacle. Every stroke takes twice as much effort. Every, every sort of like length, every mile you do would take so much effort. So, you know, it's holding all that together during the day when, you know, it, it's, it's somewhat suppressing, if you like, maybe some of the things that you feel like doing in terms of if you're ADHD, you need to move more. If you're ASD, you, you really find the group scenario sometimes quite stifling. And if you have dyslexia, then you're really struggling to listen and try and read the same way as everyone else. And when you come home, there's almost a kind of like a, you need to let go and you need to and, and I think some parents, as you say, will probably be a little bit out of habit themselves in dealing with some of those stresses and strains. One way of doing this, and sometimes when I speak to parents, is to break the cycle between just going home straight after school and it is to go and do something else somewhere else. Now, that may also be somewhat more restricted because of the, the recent situation, but it is a is a way at least of having a break between just going home and and then unleashing, if you like, really all the, the sort of energy that they've kind of suppressed during the day. So that's just something I've advised before. My daughter, she always, always, when she finished primary school, she had to unload all those things that happened on the way home. So my wife would walk home with her and she needed it. And by the time she got home, it was kind of, it was out. So if you've got a two-minute car journey, it's like if, you, if, you've, if somebody finishes work and literally is at home 30 seconds later, which probably most people over the last few months, you haven't had that disconnect. Where you've got a 20-minute drive, you have that time to disconnect from work, put it out of your mind, put it in, and then be ready for home. And I think if you're just having that school straight to home, you're probably in that same zone. Exactly. I mean, you know, that, that's what you need to do. You need to find some way of breaking the cycle. You know, I've got a personal view on who have been the heroes of lockdown, and it's almost certainly been dogs. You know, I think dogs have, have, have basically been worth their weight of gold in terms of getting families out, in terms of, generally speaking, I mean, I'm a big fan of dogs anyway because they, they generally improve mood. But I think it's quite hard, you know, not to, to feel better. If you're going to pick your, your son or your daughter up from school, bring the dog. And then, you know, uh, even a 10-minute walk with the dog, I just think is, is, a, is a mood changer. For, uh, for most people. It's a big distraction, but I was not expecting you to say the heroes was dogs. <laughs> well, not obviously, that. obviously I'm, I'm not forgetting at all the, you know, our, our, the NHS and all the other services that have been magnificent. But I think, I think maybe it's the unsung heroes of, of, uh, of, the, of the lockdown with dogs. Yeah, I, I, can, I can see that because uh, I, I, I've walked to work since January and it's interesting how many more families I've seen out, especially on the way home since um, lockdown started. Uh, it's been nice. So in terms of the new normal, we've talked about a thing, is what sort of things are students going to be worrying about? I think 
you know, essentially some students in particular, look, the, the lockdown has been different for different families. And I think families listening to us today will, will have appreciated the fact that some schools were more, were, were well, they were more structured than others. I, I've known families where children have been, in, you know, in a primary and a secondary school and, and one child has, has received quite a structured, you know, series of, of pieces of work each day and, uh, and the other in another school, it hasn't been quite as fluid as that. So I think there's no doubt that um, for certain individuals, particularly those who are moving into year 10 and, and uh, to a certain extent, even year 11, will, will feel quite anxious that, you know, some of their learning has been disrupted and then, then they're on a pathway towards GCSEs. And we be the same for some individuals moving into, you know, their, their, their last year or first year of A-level. So there's no doubt there's going to be some concerns from an academic point of view. But I think it's just more to do with the fact that, you know, individuals will got out of the habit of learning and, and they, you know, the fact that some teachers may be wearing sort of equipment, which, which might be different, you know, and the teachers themselves will, will be a bit rusty and they'll be a bit uncertain. They'll have concerns as well about, um, you know, how, how, and that will, that will be translated to the children. And I'm not sure there's any way of preventing that, but, I think it is about having, you know, a whole school philosophy, you know, school is a community and it's about working together. And I think it is about communication. But I really do think that, as I said, in order for the children to understand the situation, the teachers need to understand it first so they can transmit it to the children. I think that's important. And obviously engaging the parents, particularly those who you may feel may be more at risk, if you like, of misinterpreting some of the new guidelines i think one of the guidelines i've seen which i really do question how that's going to work in various is the one where teachers i've not read it recently so it may have changed don't hold me to it if i get it wrong but the teacher should stay at the front of the classroom that's one where i sit there and go that's going to be interesting when you have uh, teaching assistants with there's just so many that's not going to work go through my head I mean, I would normally, yeah, the teacher at the front of the classroom setup is is one that I, I when I'm training, I normally will will try to sort of um, get them to think about adapting. And I usually say you need to work the room, you know, uh, you, you really need to get amongst them because if you're not amongst them, you don't know what's going on. And in a class of, well, it might be, obviously there's going to be less, in, in, you know, less, less desks in the class, less children in the class, how are we going to do that? But you need to you need to work the room. Uh, I, the best teachers I watch are, are what I call mobile meerkats. You know, they are basically watching, they are looking all the time, but they are moving within the the desks or the situation of the room because you can't pick up the rhythm of what's happening, and you certainly can't see or understand. You know, some of the little sort of little little nips people are getting in you know in certain places, and some of the looks they may be getting from other students, unless you are working the room yeah i think it's when you're doing like group work and teachers often go around and they know you're going to get stuck on a certain bit they can't come around and do that hands-on with you and watch you step through it they there's lots of things like that they can't do but i think when you get to uh, supporting different types of need in reality you're going to have to have all of them at the front of the classroom then yeah. you, and you could just just so you can sit there and keep an eye on how they're doing. Yeah, and I think the thing is, you know, we, we always focus, of course, on, you know, we're focusing to a certain extent on the, those who are the more non-traditional learners, but all children need, you know, need, need teacher input. All, te- all kids need, you know, 
most kids will need some degree of confirmation what they're doing. And that's through human interaction, as you say, and, and, and that's the highest form of communication. And so there are some, going to be some differences in, in how we were able to do that. And um, I think overall, though, the challenge will, will be, you know, to, to adapt. But I still feel that, you know, it's going to be better for the majority of children to be learning in a group situation with a live person than in front of a machine. So, I, you know, it might not be um, 100%, but I think it, it's, it's obviously a more advantageous situation we'll be in. I think one of the things people have to think about is when you can walk around that classroom, when someone puts their hand up and you can walk up to them and go down to their level and have a quiet conversation, they might ask you, I don't get any of this. They might ask those questions, but they've got to put their hand out and shout that across the classroom. They're not going to be putting those hands up. No, they're not, but there are different methods you can use for that. You know, people use whiteboards. Um, you can use all sorts of other methods, I think, for understanding. I used to use a, uh, I, I would tell a story about a, a child who used to shout out all the time and uh, what I used to do for him. And the reason he shouted, shouted out, he had ADHD traits, but if he didn't tell me it straight away, he would forget it. And I realized that after a while. It wasn't that he was intending to be disruptive. He just was in the moment. So what I used to do for him was I gave him um, some post-it notes and, and for him to write down the answer as opposed to shouting it down. He could draw a picture. He could do what he wanted on it. And then when he had 10 of them, I had him then come up and put them on my desk. It was a little seat break for him as well as not shouting out. And this worked pretty well for a couple of days until he started sticking the notes on other students back saying, kick me and uh, I hate you and things like that, really. So whatever method you have won't always work. But, but the truth of the matter was once he understood that I was understanding how he learned, our connection was better. All right, this system with the post-it notes didn't work perfectly, but we had a much better rapport after that. And that's why it's important to try things. Even if they don't always work perfectly, you, you do get the benefit of it long term. So we've talked a lot about the sort of anxiety in the students, and but the parents will also have a lot of anxiety. So uh, one of the things I saw quite early on, maybe May, was a classroom that had been set up for social distancing. And, it's like, and here's a year, and it was quite shocking for me to sit there and go, wow, that's year one, and it was almost like Victorian classroom. So I think for parents, they don't know what their children are going back to. A lot of schools haven't sent photos of how the classrooms are going to be. They've had letters out with some information, but there's a lot uh, of information parents don't, and they'll probably be joining the dots themselves and maybe coming to the wrong ideas. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, information is always going to be uh, variable across such a complicated network as we have in our, our school system and, and uh, you know, the, the, the size of schools, you know, the number of pupils in a classroom and, to a certain extent, whether they're involved in a, in a you know, independent school versus a state school, there's going to be some variables on this. I think, you know, I think generally speaking, the children want to go back to school. And I think parents will obviously be happy for that to happen as well. We need to sort of adapt and try and get back into, you know, what is seemingly, you know, the new normal, we call it. But I think, I think it, is, it is so important, particularly for the non-traditional learners, I think, 
and the families of non-traditional learners to, to just have some degree of, of constant communication early on in the process. And uh, I know schools are stretched. I know that school senkos, for example, if they're listening to this, I think, oh, I'm meaning you. I don't mean you. I mean, this should, should be, you, your colleagues should also be supporting you on this. It, you know, we always say that every child is, every child matters. And, and the, the mantra we've always had is that every child with SEN is, is everyone's responsibility. It isn't just the responsibility of the pastoral team or the SEN team. It's everyone's responsibility. And if, you, if we do feel there are certain individuals more at risk than others, then obviously it's for us to work as communities to support each other and support the Senkos in school who will obviously be, you know, finding maybe, maybe some of these new conditions even you know even adding to their workload even more if they even if they didn't they already had enough to do but but now this is going to be extra burden on them i think is i think a lot of children may have anxiety in different ways going back not just those lots of people with have anxiety and if you're in on an inset day before the children come back why not take a picture of your classroom why not sort of say this is what you're coming back to so everyone up when those kids are coming, then they know what they're walking into. They know what to expect. And that will get rid of a lot of worry. You know, I think to be forearmed is to be forewarned, you know, if that's the way around, I can't remember if it's that way around or not. But I think we know the power of visual, you know, and how visual can be so, it, it gives you a sense of what you're moving into. So I, I do agree with you, Dale, you know, the more visual images we can give, the more kind of preparation we can give both children and their families what they're, like to expect because what we don't want to do is to turn up and go oh wow you know i didn't know it's going to be like this you know um that will obviously add to the issue if if we're talking this should be true for all children but if we're talking more specifically about children who have autistic traits what we always say number one thing to do is reduce the anxiety reduce the anxiety and so I would be, you know, I normally say the most important thing with children is structure, structure, and structure. But I would say in this particular case, it's reduce the anxiety, reduce the anxiety, and reduce the anxiety. I think just, so my daughter's moving to year seven, so brand new school, and they've done, they've done a really good job. We've had Zoom evenings for parents. We've had meet your teacher. We've had videos sent out. We are meeting various teachers from the different departments. That's been really good, so you sort of know. And one good thing for year sevens is they're not moving around the school. So that's a whole worry, which yeah. has just been simply removed. The year sevens will stay in their classrooms apart from PE and computing. Mm. But they'll stay in those classrooms, which that's a whole level of anxiety gone. They've been told their start time. They'll be told they'll be coming met by their tutor. And they've already met their tutor as so they know who their tutor is. Just a few things like that, I think, has really helped my daughter be less worried. And I think you see what we're finding with this is that some of the adaptations we're taking because of this new situation may well be things that we keep for the future. Moving from, you know, move, we move from primary to secondary, from secondary to college or secondary to the workplace. But there is no bigger move for a child than moving from primary to secondary. You go from a one teacher, one classroom set up to, you know, 12 teachers, two buildings, all the variables that go with that. You go from being the oldest in the school to the youngest in the school, the pressures on socialization, all, all those things, all of those things swimming around are absolutely huge. You know, independent travel to, versus dependent travel, more homework. 
So we, it's such a huge, it's such a huge jump. And so to have that kind of, to have that kind of system in place for year sevens is probably something we should do anyway, you know, in, or maybe, you know, some form of that in the future. So like I say, when things like this come our way, there's, there's opportunities to learn, to adapt and to change some of the existing systems that, that probably needed to be adapted anyway. I think one of the um, concerns it seems the whole country have is about attainment and the lost learning and all this lot. And we're all speculating. None of us know at this moment in time. And I've seen tweets from year one teachers um, partway through July going, actually, they still know how to use commas. They still know how to do this. The year six children know how to do semicolons. Actually, we're doing all right. They've come back. A few of them fell off, but week or two later they're back on it and it's all right they're all right so there's a lot of worry at the moment about lost learning for certain year groups like the year 10 is going to year 11 they've lost quite a lot of their time towards there are that but it's a lot of anger and we don't really know until the assessments are done over that autumn term and they really know where those children are we won't know yeah i mean obviously there's been a lot of talk in the press about certain how certain communities or certain you know echelons of society might might benefit uh, or might be more disadvantaged than others it's too early to tell uh, what i what i can tell you is that you know kids are enormously adaptive and there will be obviously loss we can't say there won't be but there's also been benefits of this as well you know in that you know individuals have probably learned new techniques they've learned new ways of learning in terms of technology and I know some schools have been incredibly inventive and, and, and supportive in how this has been done. And let's not forget as well for some, for some families, if you like, really. Yes, there's been a strain on some families, but, but also there's probably been some, you know, greater, you know, communication between children and parents. And, and parents may have taken, may have got more involved in children's learning. So, you know, it, it is too early to tell overall what, you know, if, if that is an effect at all. But I think, you know, like in all these things, whenever you have what you lose in one sense, you may have gained things in, in other cases. I know some families, in particular some children who have had difficulties, if you like, with communication with their parents or carers or to a certain extent, I know a lot of individuals who've in, in, in foster care and, and some of these children have been around two or three foster carers over the last two or three years and some of them may have had difficulties with you know, friendship groups outside of school they haven't been involved in these friendship groups they've got a lot closer to their 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 carer or to their their parent or to their, and 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 you know and they've they've formed some really really good bonds so you know it's too early to tell but as i said in all of these things i think there's some um, there's there's always costs but there's always benefits as well yeah so i know there's been lots of talk about various catch up programs and this and that and to me, there's a lot of things that just given us more to worry about. But actually, to me, until I actually hear from schools about where their children are, I'm trying to not worry about it. I'll see where we are. Because you said children are resilient, they're adapted, they they might be learning. There's lots of things we just don't know until we kind of know where they are. And it might be in some areas they're behind, but in other areas they're fine. Some children have done really well at home at the uh, learning at home. Mm. Other children haven't. It's just, we've just got to wait and see at the moment. There's nothing we can do about this. 
until the schools kind of got that assessment done and working out where their children are. Yeah, I mean, I think so. I, I, whenever I'm asked to particularly, you know, talk or, or present on on the areas, I, I for me, the three areas. It, it's it's uh, I'm often asked about behaviour because that's the area that people seem to want me to be talking and, and supporting them. But it is about learning behaviour and socialisation, and and I think in all those three areas, you know, we we're all a bit rusty. We're all a bit rusty in in you know in in, in certain things and we just need to adapt and, and, and get back there again. And I, you know, I think, um, like I say, I, it's not as if some people will, will be you know, not wanting to make up those gaps. I think the issue is, I think for both parents and to a certain extent, teachers not to put that, if that, not to put that pressure on the students. I think that's the key thing because yeah. They will feel it if you know we are you know we are their role models. We they will they will absorb it from us, and if we're feeling anxious and pressure like that, it will it will obviously go to them. So I think it's down to us, if you like, the adults to uh, to to not put that pressure. And remember, we're going to try and reduce the anxiety, not increase the anxiety. Yeah, that's the, I think that's the thing is I think when you think of your um, child doing SATs and that it's just not a great year. It's all worrying about attainment and practical. You don't want to make the next year just trying to get them through the level, trying to get them to that level four test. It's like, it's not what it's about. It is, if they're up, are behind, it's, it's can we catch up? How do we do it without putting that pressure on and giving those children's anxiety? Uh, you know, we go back to, uh, it's not a race to the, you know, the, the, I know some countries are very keen on the, the PISA tables and, and things and, and, uh, and I think you can now see in those countries, and this is not any kind of political statement at all, there's, no, there's nothing wrong with attainment, there's nothing wrong with getting better, better grades, there's nothing wrong with achieving better, better scores. But I think you've seen in those countries where it's all been about achievement, how they're now pulling back, you know, the countries, you know, that maybe have been, because, because now getting a 96 is not enough. It's, you know, it's, if someone got a 97, someone's really worried about getting a 96. So you can see how that, where that goes. And it's interesting how the pressures in some of those countries that have really, really gone for high attainment scores, it's been at the cost of, of self, you know, self-awareness and, and, and some of the socialization skills that those children have denied. I mean, they've been hothoused into points where, you know, they, they are uncomfortable. Like I say, if it, 96 isn't good enough, then then we've got some problems. Yeah, I'm not a fan of those PISAs for various reasons, but I think when people sit there and say, oh, we need to get our PISA scores up in education, it's like, it's not education, it's the whole country. It's mm. lots of aspects of this country contribute to those scores. Mm. And that's what I think, it's not just education, it's all the stuff around that affect people's lives, affect PISA scores, and I think that's a it's not just education. Yeah, I mean, when my daughter was 15 or 16, I'm, I'm sure there was someone in another part of the world, she, she got a B for maths, I think, and uh, and she really struggled with that because she had dyslexia and, and she really had to work her socks off for that B. And I'm, and I'm sure there was someone else in another part of the world who, you know, who, who wasn't just able to do fractions, but they were able to do calculus at 16. And, and my daughter couldn't do that, but she could tell me the name of of Ross's monkey and friends and, you know, and, and, 
and where she had, what I'm saying, she had a balanced education where she also had 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 time to watch television and had she had time to do other things. And by the way, he was called Marcel. If you were that interested, was it. yeah. I was, See, I, was... I knew I knew you were struggling there, Dale, for that. And I used to use that as a. It doesn't always work, of course, that, that metaphor. But what I'm trying to say is, we want them to have a balanced education. We want them to be able to be, you know, hit hit the attainment targets, but to be able to have another life as well. And 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 maybe there's another show I could have used that's more current, but that's the only one I could think of because uh, it's still very popular with people who weren't even born when it was released. It, it does appear to be going around and around and around. <laughs> doesn't it yeah yeah but i do find some some people when they're pushed academically that is their life and i do think actually there's a whole inbox out of the box thinking creativity there's a whole load of that that actually if you're just taught everything the way the test is you'll learn that way you'll think that way and when that doesn't work you've got nothing to fall back on whereas if you're doing a bit of everything you've got that it's going to help you think more creativity creatively about problems yeah i mean i think we know that some you know schools are to a certain extent um they are very much that's the the, you know what they're what they're producing is their product is learning but it's it's not just about that it's 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 about um it's about teaching children about you know also about life i think every teacher is not just a a teacher they're a coach you know they're a life coach and uh, and as as our as our parents and what we want are balanced individuals we want people who can think differently if things don't work out in one particular way we want people to have a, a range of skills obviously that that can be um that that can help the next generation we want problem solvers we want creative thinkers we want we want some of the you know there's a sense of we want people the thing about schools is they kind of want schools do want they do tend to go for compliance and and because of that's how schools are geared. But what we also need to be looking at is nurturing innovation and, and creativity and, and all those other things that, that, um, that, that we, need, we need people to have. Definitely. Now, one of the areas we haven't touched on yet is that should my child go back, that reluctant. And this is a really, really hard topic because every situation is different. I know especially when you have start looking at children with uh, more significant special needs whose immune systems aren't as strong, then that's... I know some children who were removed from school in February just as a precaution, and that makes a lot of sense. So all this advice, everything you hear, to me, it's one of those things of you need to make that decision as a parent, talking to your school, and kind of do it based on your opinion, not what others are doing yeah i mean i I think so it's got to be such a personal choice this and and you know it's a little bit of a using the business it's a risk and return element to things and if you think that the risk is is greater than the return then obviously there may come a you might need to wait until you feel that you know things are are more settled obviously health and safety uh, and, and and well-being, if you like, you know, trump everything as far as I'm concerned. And I, I think at the same time, you know, we we the information we're getting, we we do appear to have greater data now, greater knowledge. Obviously, there's still a lot of unconcern concerns and uncertainty out there. So I think you know, you you just need to 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 talk to the school, talk to the other people in 
that you are working with and in other agencies that are supporting you if there's some health issues as well. And then in the end, I think go with your gut. I think in the end, that's probably as good as, as everything else you have to go on. Yeah, I think at the moment we've got lots of uh, people out the country. We've got lots of people in Devon and Cornwall. In the north, there's uh, the R values going up. So there's moment, the moment there's lots of things. But I think week or two, I think it will probably settle down. It will be calmer. Will be, I think once the future want to go back to school, life will be easier. But I think it goes back to one of the first things you said, Finton, is children don't go to school to learn. They go to school for friends. And, that, when you, and you see you've got that, that well-being of being at home and safe and that well-being of being with their friends. And it is a very individual choice for each uh, sort of family. And it's talk to your child as well. Yeah, it is very much so. And um, I was just going to, it made me think that all those people in Devon and Cornwall will probably be really glad when school starts again. <laughs> they can actually get to the, get to the, get to the shops. Yeah, it, you know, we, um, since was it the 17th, 18th century, we did school, kids didn't always go to school, of course. They, they, they stayed at home and they worked and things like that. And I think we decided that the best thing for them was to, to a certain extent, was for them to learn, to, to be prepared to adults by going into a system where they were have people at the same stage and age as them. So, and, and we are social creatures. And, and I want to just make the point about teachers. Teachers also, I just want to, you know, make, you know put, a, put a hand in the air for them. You know, they've been at home too over this period of time. And teachers are social creatures too. That's why they went into this job. So, you know, they'll also, I think there's going to be some, there's going to be some fun as well when we go back to school. There's going to be, the kids are going to want to see their friends, their kids. They're going to want to see their teachers. The teachers also will want to see their, their colleagues because, you know, it's a, it's a very vibrant, exciting, and it's a fun place to be. It's your community. It's your school. So I think there's a lot of advantages of, of you know, of being going back and it will be exciting and it will be fun as well as you know some of the other areas we've discussed today that's interesting you said the uh teachers would like to say colleagues but it's also uh, when my mum left teaching things she'll said i think with most teachers i'll miss the children yeah yeah you, you know you, you you do and you've only you've only got to go to a school when there's no children in it to see how 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 different the building feels you know it's just a building Without the children there, when the children in there, it's a school. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I, my daughter, when she went back in July, it was it was a different time. It wasn't back to normal. It was they did different things, and there was the school was really good. They allowed them time to chat, so it wasn't work in silence. It's work. It was yeah. more relaxed. It was let's enjoy this. Let's enjoy being back. And my daughter really enjoyed her time at school. She loved it. And I think, you know, it's really important for us, like I say, you talked about with the year sevens, having that new kind of way of integrating them to school. I think it is important for us to have learned, you know, the value of taking some time and, and, and space to to reevaluate what's important. But I think the one thing I would urge as a bit of caution is, is to spend too much time talking all about how you feel and the well-being element because trust me what the kids will want is to get back to as near normal as they can so i think we need to get back to work we need to sort of you know heads down kids like structure they like routine they like the rituals it makes them feel safe and secure 
and, and, and nothing will make them feel more insecure or unsafe is if we spend too much time also not doing what we used to do because, you know, that, I, as I said, structure, structure and structure, they like that too. Yeah, and I think sometimes if you're, especially if you're sitting there going, how do you feel to a child? They don't want to answer that question. They'd rather ignore it for a bit. You know, it's important to ask, but it's important to not ask too much, so to speak. And I'm, and I'm, I'm going to say that they, they want to they, they want to get back to, they might not say say this to you, they want to get back to work too. You know, they're not going to tell you that, but they do. Really. I think there was, um, there was a news article about, I think it was from Denmark, they did a load of stuff around coming back. How do you feel? All this lot. And they spent ages creating it all and then... Two days in, they just got rid of it and went back to normal. Yeah. And some children will need more of it. Some of it, yeah. it's going to be, Correct. as usual, very individual. Mm. You, but you will feel as a teacher, you'll know your children, you'll look at your... And if you're doing it and none of them are engaged, do something else. I, I think so. I, I, like I say, I think um, what people will want to feel as if there's a reason for being back in school. You know, that's the part of the other thing as well. And... And not, and as you said, some people will need more time. They'll need more, more space. They'll need more, more support, if you like, in in reducing the anxiety. But as I said, I think, I think nothing will will increase the anxiety more if things are happening that are so different. You know, in terms of the the, the teacher's direction than they were before. That the kids are going to go. Hang on a minute. What's what's going on here? Why are they going in this? And I don't think that's going to make them feel more secure. It'll make them probably feel more insecure. Yeah, because sometimes if someone sits there and goes, it's like when um, your child falls over when they're young. If you rush up to them, something's wrong. I need to cry. Whereas if you kind of ignore them falling over, they look at you and go, oh, they're all right, so I'm all right. And it is, it is that element of that, isn't there? Do you know what? It's so true you, you say that. The more you react to it, and I think as a parent in particular, you you know, you know, certainly with your first one, you, you know, they're like China, aren't they, really? Yeah. And you, and, it's second after second one. You think, oh well, you know, they do bounce eventually. But as you say, they will take from us if we are anxious and come across as uncertain. That will be transmitted to them. So if we can be as uh, professional and as 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 you know as normal as we possibly can, that I think will be will make them feel more secure and 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 you know they'll they'll feel safer and 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 you know and, and productive. So I think we've covered a lot in this podcast. I think the only thing we, uh, I'm looking at a word on your notes and that word is exclusion. And I think that's one of the words that's, that's obviously, hopefully no one's been excluded while they've been at home. But it is one of the things where I think, especially for the next term, everyone's just got to be a bit more lenient, a bit more understanding. Look for the cause. Look, don't just react to what they're doing is unpick it, be lenient and think about things and, it's a, it's a whole world in, in that. There's a whole world in that whole exclusion. But it is, is everyone's got, the, there's lots of feelings going around. So you've just got to be a certain level of understanding. I mean, you've, as you said, you've kept something to, to last. There's something that I am particularly focused on, generally speaking. And there was a really interesting report um, called Excluded Lives, by, uh, written by Harry Daniels and, and colleagues in June this year, talking about this issue of the potential risk, if you like, for children with SEN for exclusion when, when returning to school in the new normal. We know right now that 
the biggest reason for both permanent and fixed exclusion is persistent disruptive behavior. And we know that those students who are most at risk of, of being cited for that are children that have impulsive and, and sort of hyperactive traits. If we are to judge them, you know, based on, you know, their everybody else, so to speak, in terms of being overzealous with exacting new behavior policies on this, you, you know, it, it, there is concerns for me that, you know, that those, those, um, those students will, will be more likely to be cited than others. So we need to make, make sure we find some balance between health and safety and also the needs of some children whose, whose learning and behavior traits are different from others. And we need to be as prepared, if you like, for, for those circumstances as we can. At the same time, we need to make sure that um, those individuals, you know, they are responsible for what they do. I have always made this point, if someone hits someone, it's not ADHD that hits them, the person hit them, you own your behavior. But I think the way of doing this is that we really do need our teachers in schools and, and head teachers to be, you know, to be, to be, to be prepared to be able to really let those individuals know that they can make better choices, but they need to be able to be taught how to make those better choices and some of the circumstances in which we will put them basically, you know, in the bubbles or at break and lunchtime. We need to be, um, we need to be looking at being proactive than reactive. I think that's my main point. Yeah. And I think you might find for some of them, they've been at home. It's been quite a relaxed atmosphere. It's been quite relaxed. And they're now put someone there and there are boundaries and there's lots of things going on, which they may struggle with. And it's, it's going to be hard for them to readjust back to being at school. Yeah. I mean, I have been hearing some reports already from Scotland where, you know, they've been back to school um, somewhat earlier than in the, in the UK. There's been some issues there. And I think, you know, we, we just need to be prepared for, we need to have some plans in place in terms of, as I said, you know, reducing the risk for incidences occurring. And I think our policies need to be, need to be structured, but need to be flexible as well to, to, to basically protect everybody, but also to, to help students who don't always make the best choices to make better choices. I think right now with COVID and all everything on top of that, it's going to be a bigger challenge and they are young, they're learning, they're developing, they're learning about themselves. And I think it's just, you've got to give, be that extra lean health and safety has to be there, but you've got to maybe have other options available at the moment. Yeah, I think so. And I I think, you know, what we have seen, I suppose, in circumstances is that, you know, there is a relationship between learning at home as well as in school. And it may well be that we do, for certain individuals, we can become more creative and adaptive. And it's possible that, you know, there may be part school, part home taking place, whether or not parents would always want that to happen or not is is somewhat different, or, or schools would want to do it either. But you know, there are opportunities for us to be a little bit more creative with, you know, where and when they learn and how much time they spend as well. And we know that for certain individuals, particularly for some individuals, school can be quite a challenging place in terms of not just the learning, but in terms of some of the, the social socialization pressures. And so I think there's some opportunity here as well for us to think a bit flexible think flexibly about how children do learn and maybe they don't need to spend 
you know, five days a week, six hours a day in a school setting, maybe there is some, you know, some more there's more flexibility on the time they actually spend on the school premises. So as I said, there there could be, you know, there could be some and I, I will predict there'll there'll probably be, you know, more students, you know, have home have will have home learning, you know, in this next year than will have taken place before. Whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, I, I'm not gonna comment on, but I will I will say that I can I can definitely see that I can see that situation increasing over this next year. I do think, yeah, home learning kind of solves the learning tick tick. We've ticked the learning they're learning great. But actually if they are learning in isolation, yeah. they're not then improving or given opportunities to show how they're developing or given supported develop in the areas they're struggling with. That's, that's absolutely right. And and I completely, as I say, I would always, you know, hundred percent say, you know, please, you know, think about going to school, but if, if some schools, and I'm going to go here on behalf of parents, if some schools are unable or unwilling to, 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 to be more creative or innovative in, in and, and to be more, more open-minded even in, in how, how things are, are to take place, then I think it's also important for parents to, to, you know, to have the, have the opportunity to think differently about how they learn and, and maybe, you know, fill the other pieces in themselves in other ways. I'm, it's not, certainly not, would not be my, my preferred sort of like, um, philosophy, but I do, I do think, you know, in situations where, you don't you don't you find children being marginalized and and maybe being to a certain extent under so much pressure and unable to conform to those pressures and i think i think families need the opportunity to 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 at least have make a choice on that definitely definitely so look at my notes we kind of covered everything you've given me a link to a document uh, school exclusion risks after COVID-19. So I'll be putting that in the notes for everyone to access. So big thank you for coming on the show today. Thank you, Dale. Lovely talking to you. Excellent. Um, so as I just said, we're putting the uh, links to that document in the uh, show notes. I'll be also sharing uh, Finton's contact details. And you can find the show notes um, in the usual places where you get listen to the podcast, but you can also find them on our website, www.thesendcast.com. So thank you for listening to the show. If you haven't subscribed already, you can subscribe by going to our website, www.thesendcast.com. You can also sign up for our newsletter on the website to keep up to date with the latest news. Alternatively, you can follow us on Twitter at The Sendcast, on Facebook, The Sendcast, on Instagram, The Sendcast, or on LinkedIn, just search for Sendcast. And if you want to get in touch, let us know your thoughts, suggest topics, or anything else, please send an email to hello at thesendcast.com. If you've enjoyed the Sendcast, why not look into the virtual Send conference? This is a conference that, like the Sendcast, is run by B Square, but it covers all aspects of SEND. Finton's done a couple of sessions for us now. I have. So, and what makes this conference different is that it's accessed across the internet. So, the conference runs twice a year in March and November, and each conference has 12 highly valuable sessions designed to help you with each session have something you can take away. You can buy tickets for future events or our past events as the videos are always available. And the cost for each conference is £60 and this covers the entire school, not per person. 
And as a listener to Sendcast, we're giving you a 10% discount just by using the code Sendcast10. No space, just Sendcast, then one and a zero. So a big thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Sendcast. Goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. 